here. Happy Memorial Day. We want to honor those who served and gave their lives for our country, but we want to honor Jesus always who gave his life for us for the ultimate freedom. So we're doing a series called uh, Fresh Start, and we're coming out of a timeout, right? When you come out of a timeout, like in sports, you're supposed to come out of the timeout, and things are supposed to be different than before you went into the timeout. And so there's been a timeout that's been forced upon a lot of people's lives. COVID's forced us a lot of different changes, and people are having a hard time starting. They're having a hard time, you know, just with the whole change. But a timeout, coming out of a timeout, you're supposed to have a change in strategy. Timeout is supposed to help you evaluate things as they've been and things as they are and as things need to be. So what I want to try to help you with through this series, God willing, is to help you and challenge you to get a different strategy. Use this as an opportunity to change the way that you've been doing things or to change the way that things have been going on. That's one of the purposes of a timeout. When a team, especially in basketball, calls a timeout, they do it so that they can shift strategies. They can put new players on the field. They can put new pieces in play. They do it to, con to correct dysfunction. If the team is out of order or something's not going right, they, they call the timeout and they start putting everybody. That's why the coach has the board, you know, and he's drawing it all out. Another thing is to slow the pace, right? So sometimes these things are necessary. It's been an incredibly stressful six, uh, two years for a lot of people. And in, LA, and in Miami, and especially Florida, we didn't experience it anywhere near that the way the rest of the nation did because we had a very uh, freedom-oriented government in Florida, and I love it like that. Yeah, that's right. I like it, Wild West, you know? Um, I'm all about freedom. Jesus is all about freedom. For freedom's sake, Christ made you free. It's about freedom, right? But nationally, suicide hotline, up 60% since COVID. 60% increase in the suicide hotline. Why is that? Because people are isolated, people are hopeless, people are fearful, people are stressed. Isolated from everything and everyone. Have a friend of mine, a young man, uh, broken background, uh, been arrested, he's in jail, and can't even see the guy in jail to this day, you know? So they isolate. People isolated in their loved ones in the hospital. You can't go and couldn't go and see your loved one in the hospital. Couldn't come in the same room or the same floor at all. So you're, you're, you know, people who, I've known people that their, their mothers died during COVID and they couldn't even get into the room to see their mother or their grandmother, right? Various reasons, but they, you know, just the whole isolation concept it's not healthy for us. We're not, we're not created to be in isolation. We're created to be in community. Community is messy. I understand. I get it. As I said before, community is messy. But it's what we're created to do. It's where we, where we become the most alive. Depression, loneliness, and isolation. There's been lots of fear and uncertainty. And a lot of it has been projected against society from the outside. The church must be a voice of hope. The church must be a voice of faith. No one is going to speak hope except the people who possess hope. No one is going to speak faith except the people who possess faith. And when the people of hope and the people of faith abandon hope and abandon faith, then we are truly hopeless. We have to have faith in the courage of fear. We have to have hope in the, in the face of hopelessness. We have to. We have Jesus in us. There's no hope outside of you, but you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
You have Christ in you, the faithful one. You don't have faith? Jesus is full of it. He's got all the faith you need. Look to him. The Bible says have the faith of God. God's faith is perfect. He gives you a measure. Faith is, faith is an amazing thing to me. Faith is something that doesn't come from man. It comes from the Lord. The Bible says we're given a measure of faith. So we have a measure of faith that's given to us. In other words, we don't have it in and of ourselves. Faith from its very beginning comes from the Lord. So we not only have a measure of faith, but sometimes that measure of faith isn't enough. And so God lets you borrow his faith. His faith is perfect. Jesus isn't doubting. But he told Peter, I wasn't doubting. Why were you? Sometimes you have to ask the Lord, what do you say about this situation? What do you say about this circumstance? He's going to say, live and not die. Succeed and not fail. Above and not beneath. You'd be amazed what Jesus says if you start listening to him. His voice is always the hope of faith. His voice is always the hope of fear, of, of hope and faith. He doesn't speak fear. <laughs> if there's one thing you have to know as a Christian in, in a faithless generation with faithless leaders and weak and cowardly pe people standing and leading, leading God's people, teachers of Israel, but don't neither know the power of God nor his word, that speak into God's people. What you need to know, and if you don't know, you, maybe you don't know all of the dynamics and all of the different things, but what you do need to know is that the Spirit of God does not speak fear. He speaks faith. So any voice that's speaking to you in fear, say it with me, is not of the Lord. It's uh, coming from a lot of places. It might even be coming from you. But it's not of God. Jesus does not lead us with fear, nor does he speak that word. He doesn't speak fear. He speaks faith. All things are possible to them to believe. Be faithful unto death. Have faith if it kills you, is what he's saying. Nowhere. They that shrink back my soul has no pleasure in. The Bible is very condemning on fear. It's very direct on fear. You should not embrace it, nor should you tolerate fear. Fear is one of the most destructive forces in the life of the believer. It's faith forward. That's what we're called to do. We're called to find it. We're called to get it. Get it somewhere. Get rid of everybody that does that has voices of fear around you. I, I don't listen to it. I don't got time for it. I listen to one voice and it's the Lord's. And I surround myself with people who speak that same voice and are in that same concert. Voices of fear, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't care if I ever watch the evening news. You don't care what goes on in the world? I could care less. I will not subject myself to voices of fear. I will not. I feed faith, not fear. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. Some of you are in the circumstances that you're in because all you do is feed fear. You feed fear, therefore you manifest fear. You feed fear, therefore your entire environment is fear. And you exude fear. It's faith, Christian. Faith. What's faith look like? I don't know, ask the Lord. Where am I fearful, Lord? And where do I need to have faith? You'd be surprised at the answers. God does not speak fear. You could go home with that. And that'll solve all your problems. Anytime you hear pastors talking about fear, change the flipping channel. Because it's not God. That is not the voice of your father. It's not, well, we need to be prudent. No, we need to be faithful. We need to be safe. No, we need to be fearless. That is the message. Amen. That is the message. It's not about safety. It's about fearlessness. We are a fierce people. 
commanded to exert fearlessness. The devil fears the Christian who knows who they are. The devil fears the Christian who is fearless and understands the fierceness of the nature in which they possess. Why should you tremble at your enemies? Let your enemies tremble at you. God told the children of Israel, I shall put the fear of me upon them. They'll be freaking out before you even walk in the door. Huh? That's what God wants over his people. An irresistible and unstoppable force that moves forward without fear. That moves forward with faith, hope, and love. Right? Isn't that what we're called? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these things, love. Seeking the highest good. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. We have to become that. You want a fresh start? You want to come out of a timeout? Change your strategy. Been feeding on fear? Start feeding on faith. Find faith and feed on it. And feed on it. And feed on it. And starve that fear. Fear is a weed that chokes out everything it can, comes in contact with. It does. Well, I'm doing a lot of gardening at my house lately, and there's the weed. I've discovered the difference. I'm learning a lot about plants, things I never knew before. One thing is if you don't deal with the weeds, they choke out the good plants. They prevent the good things from actually coming forward. You got to deal with the weeds. Fear's a weed, man. Fear's a consuming weed. We'll overrun everything, choke it everything out. Can't have fear. You got to have faith. Faith is in the voice. Faith and faith is in the eye. Uh, faith is in the voice of the Lord. He speaks faith. If you're fearful, ask the Lord to speak into your circumstances. Ask the Lord to speak over your circumstances and bind yourself to that word. He will never speak fear to you. He will only speak faith. He will never diminish you. He will only call you higher. Yeah. My sheep hear my voice. Do they not? We live by his voice. From the beginning, it was always the voice of God, the voice, the presence in the voice, the presence in the voice, the presence in the voice. God has a fresh word. He has a fresh voice for you, no matter what your circumstances. This has nothing to do with my notes. I'm not even on this, but I feel compelled to keep going. <laughs> Coming out of a, getting a fresh start, it's an opportunity. Say it with me. I can focus on the problems. I can focus on the losses. Or I can focus on the future. You can't do anything about the past. That yeah, plays over. You can learn from it. You can deal with the issues of the past that deal with you. You can deal with the past, but you can't live there. Say this with me. Change, Change. starts with choosing. You have to choose something different. If you want what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. You keep repeating the same mistakes, you're going to get the same thing over and over again. You keep making the same choices, you're going to get the same thing over and over again. So if you don't like what you have, you need to change what you're doing. You are not a victim of outside forces. You're not. The Lord never created man to be subject to his environment. You are not created to be subject to your environment. You are created to subject your environment to you. Rule and subdue. Right? So when we make excuses about the subjection of our environment, we are, we are creative people made by a creator to be creative. And in concert, in partnership with our creative, that creative nature will give you an overcoming power to where you can overcome any circumstance. Any, I didn't say you didn't have to go through circumstances. I said you'll overcome it. And when you say that, Christians think it's instantaneous and I'm delivered. No, you may have to finish the process. <laughs> right? You may, you may be in something, that you, but you're going to come out. And you'll come out victorious. 
I'm not subjected to my environment. My environments are to be subject to me. And I will not diminish myself beneath that. I will not. I will not listen to any voice that tells me I'm to subject myself to my environment because that's not true. I'm to be my, I'm my father's son. I'm to be my father's servant. I'm going to be about his business. I'm a soldier under his command. And in that authority, my environments are subjected to me. I will not let my circumstances victimize me. And if my circumstances are victimizing me, I want to know why. I want to know why, because it's not my inheritance. That's another story for another day. But it all relates to the story. Change begins with choosing. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about 2 Kings. So this is really my forte, and hopefully I can demonstrate my forte. I'm a Bible expositor more than anything else. <laughs> I like to take the Word of God and extrapolate the chapter. Exactly. Expose the chapter. Exposize, exp, ex, do an exposition. There you go. Of the chapter. So we're going to do 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to give you a summary, but I can't go into all of it, but I'll do some of it. So in 2 Kings chapter 7, just to help you familiarize yourself with your Bible, in the Old Testament, God created a kingdom, and it was called the nation of Israel. When Solomon died, his son, a very wicked, a very wicked son named Rehoboam, came into power. Right? Rehoboam was raised with all of the trappings, and the, you know, he was a spoiled brat. And so what happened when Rehoboam came on the crowd, when Rehoboam took the throne is he fired all of his father's counselors, and he hired all the 20-somethings, right? <laughs> you say, I'm a 20-something. I know you're a 20-something, and you need to listen to the counsel that's, that's, that's been before you, right? There's a reason for that. In Jewish culture, the youngest couldn't speak. They could only ask questions. You were not allowed to give your opinion. You can only ask a question. They had to sit in the seat of the learner until they reached an age of maturity. And that age of maturity in Scripture is technically the age of 30. So if you were under the age of 30 in Jewish culture, you were not allowed to sit in a council and give an opinion. You were not allowed to say, I think, or, I, or this, or that. You might give an idea, but you were not allowed to express your opinion. You had to sit down and shut up, and you had to ask questions. You say, it's not fair. Well, that's the way God ordained it. Because it, what he was doing was putting people through a learning process so that they would ask questions to the elder. They would ask questions to the leader. They would ask questions in the council. They may not agree necessarily, but they were, sit, they were to sit in the seat of the learner, right? And that's how God developed his people. That's how God developed the nation. Rehoboam made a fatal error here. He got rid of all of his father's counselors. Solomon was the wisest of all, was he not? Is that what the scripture said? Right? But the least of these is greater than Solomon. You come to Christ, you're wiser than Solomon. The wisest decision anybody can make is to give their life to Jesus. The fool denies Jesus. The fool doesn't go all in on Jesus. I don't care what you do. You can make billions of dollars, and God says you're a fool. Because you cannot discern the gift that has been offered to you. Right? And that's another story. I go into that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> Rehoboam got rid of all the counselors. He brought in his, he brought in all of his, all of his, you know, all of his buddies, right? Whoa, we live in large now, yo. Coming in with the chains and blinging, standing up with counsel, and the people came to Rehoboam and they asked for relief. They said, "We've been making great sacrifices under your father and your father, the wise king, and we have built the temple." Solomon put sacrifices on the people in order to build the temple. And they had given to build the temple. Now the temple was built, and the ministry was established. And they said, can you relieve us of, the, of these burdens now that the temple is built? Very just, very fair thing to ask. And Rehoboam said, no way. 
I'm going to double what my father put on you. So, because he took counsel with all of these, like, I will afflict you with scorpions. You know, it's like, man, who are these people? You got to show yourself, man. You got to demonstrate yourself, man. You can't be soft. You can't be soft. And so Rehoboam took the counsel of the 20-somethings and he imposed vexation upon the people and the kingdom divided and the kingdom split. It wasn't God's intention, but the oppression and the foolishness of the leader. And so now the nation is divided. This is where we are. The nation is divided. There's a king here, Joram. He's a descendant of Rehoboam. And so you have the northern kingdom became known as Israel. The southern kingdom became known as Judah. So if you ever read your New Testament, particularly as you're going into the prophetic and the prophets, it's always using the language of Israel and Judah. He's talking about two different nations because the nation had become divided, had become divided. The northern kingdom became excessively wicked. They became really, really wicked. They set up their own altars. They set up their own gods. They worshiped the gods of the culture. They literally gave themselves over. They made it up as they went along basically. And they were called Israel. And, God, and what happened was, is that this king in this, in, in this northern kingdom, where uh, this, northern, this northern kingdom uh, that was established, followed foreign gods. But everybody say this one day, Jesus is merciful. Elisha, anybody ever heard of Elijah? Elijah, right? So you have Elijah and Elisha, they're two different. But God sends the most prolific of all the prophets to the northern kingdom. The people that are farthest from him, he sends a gift to them in the form of Elijah. And Elijah was always calling the people back to worship. He was telling them to forsake the gods of the culture and come back to the Lord, to stop being half-hearted. You know, you pretend like you serve Jesus, but you're serving all these other things wholeheartedly. Give up what you serve wholeheartedly and give wholeheartedly to, to your faith. Give wholeheartedly to the kingdom. And so Elijah was calling them back away from that. Elijah passes on and God sends Elisha as the generations proceed. And Elisha, but God still had a word. Say with me, Jesus always has a word, even to a faithless people, right? You don't have to worry about going too far from the Lord. God always has a word for you. These people were blowing it out and they were doing all kinds of crazy wickedness and crazy things. And God was still being faithful to them. And God still had a word for them. And so Elisha is ministering to Joram and this king is on the throne. The Bible says this, righteousness exalts a nation. But sin, the denial of God's ways, is a reproach or a shame to every people. So they had a nation that was tearing down all of the standards that God had set up. They were forging new boundaries. They were removing all of the old boundaries and all of the places of morality and righteousness that had established this nation. And they were setting up idols unto Molech and unto Asterisk and unto, in our country, Baphomet. They've set up statues of the goat god, Baphomet, in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. And they did godlessness and tearing down and relegating the voices of God's people to nothing, trying to kill and murder the prophets. Righteousness exalts a nation. So when a nation serves God in his ways, that nation, by nature, becomes exalted because it's operating within the constructs of how God created the universe. When people turn away from God's ways, right, and nations turn away from God's ways, that nation becomes diminished. It becomes morally corrupt, and it becomes to corrupt itself from within, like a cancer. 
It's corrupted. It still outwardly looks healthy, but inwardly the tumor is growing. You understand? And it becomes a shame to every people. One of the things that happens in the Old Testament is they became subjected to their enemies. Every time God's people would leave him, over, it would be a, within a certain period of time, they would be overrun by their enemies. Areas of your life where there's an overrunning is an area of a disobedience, Christian. So it doesn't mean God's judging you. It just simply means the devil has a doorway into that area of your life. It's not like something you just go through, but if there's a consistency of an overrunning in that area, then there's an open door there, most likely. So they were approached ashamed that God had these, the enemies were coming against them. So we have in this scene, 2 Kings chapter 7, we have in this scene the Assyrian army has come against the northern kingdom. When you invaded Israel, you always had to come from the north, unless it was Egypt. But most of the time, Israel's enemies came from the north. So the northern kingdom would fall first or come under assault first. So the Assyrians are coming south. It was always a conflict in the Old Testament between Egypt and uh, in Assyria. They were the world powers. And in between Egypt and Assyria, you have Israel. And so while these two nations were literally bludgeoning themselves for centuries, Israel was right in the middle of this conflict. And so Assyria would come down into Israel and they would invade Israel and they would, they, in order to, they're trying to capture Egypt. And either Egypt, uh, Israel was never subjected to Egypt, but they were subjected to Assyria. And they were subjected to the Babylonians. But Israel was always caught in the middle of this conflict. They were always caught between world powers. You understand? And so Israel, Assyria is coming down into Egypt. And they're in, in the northern kingdom. And they've surrounded the northern kingdom. And they're besieging it. And they're killing people like crazy. The Assyrians are wicked people. Wicked people. And they had besieged them. And they've surrounded, the, they've surrounded the city. And the prophet is with the king. The king is Joram. The people are starving. Literally, they were selling a horse head for $1,000. These people were starving. You had people almost resulting to cannibalism because of the oppression that the enemy had besieged the city. And the prophet is standing there. The enemy is at the gate. The city's about to fall. And the king wants the prophet's head. He said, I want that prophet's head. Do you know why? It's funny how people blame God for circumstances that they create. Isn't that amazing? Right? This king, Joram, an idolater of the first order, probably sacrificing children. That was one of the things they did. They did blood sacrifice. They did all kinds of crazy, crazy things. And they put this nation in this position. And he's like, I want the prophet's head. It's crazy. People blame the Lord for problems they create. <laughs> God be, God, Joram couldn't look at himself. Oh, no, no, no. He, he couldn't look at the cause of this. He could only look at the effect. And his, and his attitude was to blame the Lord. Elijah comes, says, hey, you want to see me? He's like, yeah, what's going on here? And he said, you'll be delivered tomorrow. And the keeper of the gate, everybody say it with me, the keeper of the gate, a very important person to the king, laughed, essentially, and said, even if God were to open the floodgates of the sky, this is not possible. Elisha looks at him and says, oh, it's possible. You'll see it, but you won't partake of it. <laughs> the guy ended up getting killed. He saw it. He saw the Lord's deliverance, but he wouldn't partake of it. That's another story. The Lord will deliver you. The king's leaders scoff. Here's what you need to know. Deuteronomy 32, 6, 32, 36 says this. The Lord shall rule in favor of his people. Say it with me. The Lord, the Lord will rule in my favor. Rule in my favor. 
right? So God sets this nation up. He sets this people up. He delegates authority, and, and he expects these leaders to govern wisely. He expects these leaders to treat the people fairly. He expects these leaders to be generous and kind and implement his ways and his systems. And when the systems fail, God does not fail his people. Do you understand that? When the systems, say it with me, when the systems fail, Oh, you guys don't sound too convinced of this. When the systems fail, the Lord will not fail me. The Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, the Lord is holy in his temple. Right? The system is failing. God is expecting. He's got a prophet. He's got a voice to the king, telling the king what to do. The king won't listen. And the king wants to silence the voice of God all together. He wants the head of the prophet. And God promised his people... He said, I will rule in your favor. I myself will return to my people when I see that all of their power is gone and there is none who will stand for them. <laughs> Does that resonate with anybody here? The Lord will stand for you when no one else will. You understand that? The Lord will be his power to you when no one else will. Right? He delegates authority, but when that authority fails, God said, I'll see to it myself. I'll see to it myself. I will not break my oath. These people are faithless, but I will be faithful. The power and the institutions that I've allowed to be established have turned to wickedness and have turned to destruction, but I will not fail them. The systems may fail, and the people may not listen, and the leaders may not listen, but I will be faithful. Who told you you were disqualified? Who told you God isn't going to help you? Who told you that? Well, God isn't going to help the, you know, and you're going to get in this sin over there, and you're going to get over there, and you're going to get wicked, you know, and oh, God's going to bring judgment on you. It says here he's bringing help. That's what he tells me. Your circumstances, your choices, your lifestyle has brought to destruction. Jesus had nothing to do with that. You want to play with the devil? You want to dance with the devil? He doesn't play fair, Right? He doesn't play fair. God doesn't bring it. You bring it. By a man's choices, he brings calamity, yet his heart rages against the Lord, the Proverbs say. By our own choices, we create matters in our lives, and then we go, you did this. It's your fault. It's not what the Scripture says. I'm quoting the Old Testament. We don't even need to break out the, new, the news in, in technicolor. He's telling them in the Old Testament, I will be with you. When all power fails, I will be with you. When none will stand with you, I will stand with you. When all rule against you, I will rule for you. When judgments come upon you with the decrees and the demands of men, I will rule in your favor. I will see to it myself. Yeah. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you are? He doesn't, he's not fascinated with angels, Christian. He's fascinated with you. His love and devotion isn't dedicated to angels, but his love and devotion is dedicated to you. Not the world. You are different from the world. Until you start seeing yourself as exceptional, you'll never understand it. The bread is not for the world. The bread is for the children. The promises are not for the world. The promises are for the children. We're not all God's children. So stop thinking that everybody's God's child because you're not. Bible says they that receive Christ are given the power to be called the sons and daughters of God. 
So if you don't know Jesus, you're God's creation, but you're not God's child. And you're outside of the covenants and the promises, Galatians says. You are outside of his covenant and outside of his promises. And anything God does in the life of the unbeliever, any help he gives the unbelievers is simply based upon the act of his mercy. What he does in your life has nothing to do with mercy. It has to do with covenant, commitment, relationship. Right? Oh, there's mercy there. But we're not invoking God's mercy. We're invoking our inheritance. And that's an entirely different ballgame. I'm not crying for God's mercy. I'm calling out my covenant. His covenant with me. I didn't make the promises. He did. He told me. He doesn't swear by me. He swears by himself. He says, I'll do this. I promise you, by my own nature, I will do this. If you're faithless, Kevin, don't worry. I'm going to come through. If the foundations are destroyed, I'm there. Last week, was, I think it was Isaiah. He said, Israel, you are a storm-tossed city in destruction, but I will rebuild you. I will rebuild you. God's for you, man. When systems fail and corruption is seated over the people, the Lord will deliver. The Lord will deliver. God's going to take care of you in the midst of everything. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You, you can partner with the, with the culture if you want to. You can run like a chicken with its head cut off, like 99.9% of all Christians I know that are always in a state of panic. You don't want to grab them and go, tch, tch. Rise to the level of your birth. You're a daughter of the highest. You're a son of the highest. Be who God called you to be. Stop diminishing yourself. You are not common. But everybody's like that. Well, you're not. You're not. Everybody, nobody believed they could take the mountain. Caleb believed they could take the mountain. Caleb believed it. Caleb got Horeb. Faithless generation perished in the wilderness, but Caleb made it to the other side. Where are you? You're going to perish in the wilderness with the majority of 99% of all born-again Christians who have no faith? Faith is vacant in the church. We are a people of faith. Unrelenting, undaunted faith. Believing for the impossible. Crazy. Guys are a bunch of lunatics. That's right. You're nuts. I'm screwed onto the right bolt. Right? We believe God for the impossible. And Jesus looks at us and goes, jeez, man. I got to do something. That's too much faith for me to do nothing. He moves on faith. He moves on faith. The enemy heard chariots, so the city's surrounded, right? And the enemy starts hearing chariots, and they freak out. There were no chariots. There were no physical chariots, right? In chapter 5, if you know the story, Elisha tells the Lord to open the servant's eyes. And what does he see? Chariots. He says, they that are for us are what? Greater than they that are against us. So two chapters later, the prophet said, hey, the army of the Lord is here. If it looks you're like you're surrounded, you're surrounded by him. Hmm? If it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. Come on. It's true, is it not? Two chapters earlier, he tells them, army of God's here. And so this besieging army, God looses his chariots. He just tells the angels, hey, just run a few laps around them and freak them out. And so they heard the noise of the chariots. There were no horses left in Israel. 
A, a nation that they said, oh, upwards of 40,000 horses. They were down to four because they'd eaten them all. They had no horse. They, no, they, they had chariots, but they had no, no horses to pull the chariots. They didn't have anything. God had plenty of chariots. Where you're deficient, he's sufficient. Come on. They heard the chariots. And the enemy, the Bible says they stripped off their armor. They just completely panicked. They ran away. God can cause your enemies to flee. He can cause those who oppress you to go. Right? It's true. It says, now there were four lepers at the entrance of the city gate. So inside the city, they're freaking out. They want to kill the voice of the Lord. And at the city gate, there are four guys that have nothing to lose. Say it with me. They had nothing to lose. Everything to gain. Four guys at the city gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we go into the city, there is famine in the city, and we're going to die there. If we sit here and take things as they've been, we're going to die here also. The only hope we have, say it with me, the only hope is in moving forward. The only hope we have is in going forward. And in going forward, what they're basically saying is the Syrians are in front of us. The unknown is in front of us. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good, right? We will go to them, and maybe they will let us live. And if they will let us live, well, hey, we live. If they kill us, well, you know, it's no worse than what we already have. We have nothing to lose by going forward. And so they got up at twilight to go to the Armenian camp, which is the Assyrians, and they came to the edge of the camp, and there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the Assyrian army to hear the sound of chariots, and the sound of horses, and the sound of a great army. <laughs> so true. Four lepers, say it with me. They had issues, but they had faith. You say, I got issues. Yeah, right? You got issues. Who's, who said that? I'm going to high-five whoever said that. Right. You got issues. The issue isn't whether you have issues. The issue is do you have faith? That's the issue. These guys got issues. They're lepers. I don't care how bad your issues are. They can't be that bad. They couldn't even come in the city, right, because they were lepers. The whole city's walled in, safely and secure. The lepers are outside the city to fend for themselves. They had no one to protect them. They were complete outcasts, social pariahs, unwanted, rejected. They had a lot of issues. Well, we can't accept people like you in our church. You know, we just look down on you and you're just, you know, we're the holy and righteous crowd. And we don't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to deal with our appearances. So the church always puts the gloss and the glaze on everything. Instagram generation, karaoke generation, want the microphone, don't want responsibility. We want to show it like we want to show the gloss, but we don't want to tell it like it is. It's true. We keep the lepers and the broken outside of the things, and we all sit inside and celebrate ourselves. These people had issues. It's time for the people that have issues to rise up in faith, right? You got issues. Your issues aren't disqualifying you. Faith is what qualifies you. They had issues, but they had faith. They were unwanted. They were looked down upon. Social rejects. They weren't popular in high school. You know what I mean? They weren't. They just weren't accepted in the society. They had nothing to lose. They said, if we sit here in this timeout, if we stay in this lockdown forever, we're going to die. If we stay in the mentality of this lockdown, we are going to die. 
If we go back to the way things were, we're going to die. We have one choice beyond those two choices, which are certain. And this choice is uncertain, but at least it's hopeful, and that's to move forward. We cannot stay as we are. We cannot go back to what we have been. We have to move forward. The future is scary, isn't it? Most people would rather stay the same than force a change. We stay in jobs longer than we should because we're too comfortable there and we're afraid of what might be. We give up what must be and stay in the security of what we have. We're too afraid to change. The bridge from where you are to where you need to be is called change. Let's just be honest. The future's scary. It's uncertain. And one of the things going to happen is you're going to have to confront your issues. You're going to have to deal with your fear. There's fear holding you back. You don't think it was fearful? A bunch of lepers going to go walk into the Assyrian camp? I told you before, the Assyrians would mutilate you. If you're a prisoner of the Assyrian, they're going to cut your ears off. They cut your nose off. If they kept you alive, they mutilated you. Because they wanted the entire world to be fearful of them. They wanted everybody to be afraid of the Assyrians. And they wanted everybody to know that, from the, that anybody that saw you and your ears had been cut off, they wanted you, they, everybody would know, oh, the, the Assyrians had this guy. The nose would be cut off. They would cut the nose off. The Lord said, I'm going to cut, he told the Assyrian king, Shenekar, I'm going to cut your nose off. That's <laughs> what so he told him. He said, I'm going to break you like a rod. I'm going to snap you over my knee and discard you. You will be nothing. Because Sennacherib was boasting. Who is the Lord? That's the worst thing you can say. Who is the Lord? <laughs> He's like, did he just ask who I am? <laughs> put a hook in their mouths. And they would lead them around with a hook through their jaw. God said, I will put a hook in you. And he said, the Assyrians would put a hook in their jaw and lead them through captivity. So you weren't in chains. You had a hook. Through the skin in your jaw, they would lock a hook. And he would lead you with the bone of your chin. That's how the Assyrians led their captives, bleeding from the ears or bleeding from the face. Yeah? And these lepers are going to go, hey, we're going to go surrender to those people. Do you think that's freaky? You, you know, you're like going, okay, well, we could go back and we'll die. If we stay here, we die, you know? Or we could go and surrender to these kookaburras over here and see what they do. They went into the future. Even though the future was uncertain and even though the future was, a fear, was fearful, they moved into the future. They moved into the future. They had issues, but they had faith. This kingdom only moves in one direction. This kingdom is not static. Jesus, his whole, the whole point of this kingdom, you want to know kingdom dynamics? I'll give you a couple right now. Number one, Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. If you think you're going to stay the same this year as you were last year, the Holy Spirit will have none of it. That's why a lot of you are so frustrated and so broken in your faith because you will not cooperate with the changes that he wants to make. He never leaves you the same. You better get used to change because he's all about it. He's about transformation, which is change in every way. God does not leave you the same. He changes you. And you know how he changes you? He challenges you. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. And Jesus challenges you. When he challenges you, it's another story. We want the voice of the Father, but we don't want the voice of the King. We want the voice of the father, but we don't want the voice of the physician. We all want daddy's voice who loves us and nurtures us and cares for us and sticks the bottle and changes our poo-poo every now and then. 
right? We all want our Father's voice who warms us and comforts us. We all want that. You have that all the time. But very few Christians have the voice of the king because they will not submit to the voice of the king. Very few Christians have the voice of the physician. The physician tells you what's wrong, right? He tells you what time it is. The physician's the one that takes x-rays and says, we got a problem here, we got a problem here, and here's what we need to do to, salute, to fix it. We don't want to listen. We don't want to submit to the voice of the physician, and we don't want to submit to the voice of the king. And so we stay like infant children. But we have the father's voice, but the heir, so long as they are a child, are no different than a slave. We have childlike faith. This is true. But we're sons and daughters that obey. We're supposed to grow into maturity. And while I receive from my father always as a child, but I obey my king, and I do the things the physician tells me to do, if I want wholeness or healing, or I just let the tumors continue to grow in my life and overtake me. Your thinking's wrong. No, it's not. No, it's not. You got broken issues from your past. No, I don't. My past is over. Is it? Is your past over? If your past is over, then why is your past still affecting you? If it's over, just a, just a thought. Just, 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 like, you know, let's just be, just, just ask the difficult questions. They went over in the evening. It's just the start of a new day. See, in Jewish culture, when the sun set, the day started. They didn't get up and go in the middle of the day. They waited for a new day to dawn. It's a new day, Christian. It's a new day. It's time to change. It's time to get up and move forward. It's scary. Oh, it's scary. I might lose an ear. I might lose my nose. You might lose your life. Move forward. God is always causing you forward, always. Nowhere in Scripture does he leave his people static, ever. Even when Israel was disobedient and were denied the promised land, they had to keep moving. They played, here we go round the mountain for 40 years until they all dropped dead. But they were not allowed to sit still. They had to keep moving. So if you think God's not a God who wants to move you, you don't know him at all. If you think God's not a God who wants to change you, you don't know him at all. If you just think he's there to fluff pillows and keep your life comfortable, you don't know him at all. He's the ultimate disruptor. Yeah? He wants more for you than you want for yourself. He loves you. He'd, he'd throw your whole world into chaos just to get you to ask him a question. It's true. Famine, I love this story. Famine in Israel for three years. David's just sitting out there eating, you know, crunching munch, looking out over the balcony, you know, the palace. Hey, man, there's a famine here. Anybody notice there's a famine? <laughs> the prophet comes and says, yeah, the famine's been going on. The ministers come and say, prophet's been going on for three years. David's like, three years? And so he asks the Lord, why is there a famine? And God's like, oh, you're just now noticing this, David? God allows disruptions in your life in order for you to engage him. You understand that? He will not leave you the same. So if you think that God's not going to move you forward, he moves you from glory to, that's right, from weight of goodness to weight of goodness. That's what glory means. From radiance to radiance. He's not trying to lead you down. He's trying to lead you up. The only one who's trying to pull you down are you and the devil and maybe the company you keep. Jesus isn't pulling you down. He's trying to raise you. He's not trying to come down on you. He's trying to get beneath you and lift you up. So here's the deal. This kingdom moves in one direction. Jesus wants to deal with the issues that keep you from moving forward. What are the issues that keep you from moving forward? That's a, that's a long conversation. 
You've got to be willing to start a new day. I'll just use you one example. One example. Okay, I shared it last week. I'll share it again. I can't remember what service I shared it in, but whatever. Hey, it doesn't matter. So here's my issue, right? I'm a guy who tries to follow Jesus. Aren't we supposed to follow him? Right? We're supposed to follow him, which means where are you going, Lord? Where are you leading? What is it you desire for me? What is the direction? We're supposed to be engaging in a conversation with him. I try to engage him in a conversation all the time on a lot of levels. He's telling me to do certain things, and I find myself not able to do them, even though I'm very clear that I know what I'm supposed to do. Is anybody here? Right? I can't do it. Those who know what to do and do it not to them, it is sin. It's not the sin of condemnation. It's the sin of missing it. I'm missing it. God has something for me, and I can't do what he's telling me to do. Therefore, I'm missing what he has for me. That's the kind of sin that it is. And so I can't find myself. I was like, just go it's about obedience. It has nothing to do with obedience. I want to follow the Lord. And so I begin to ask him, what, what, is, it, what is it, Lord? What, what is preventing me from doing this? What is preventing me from doing these different things? And he told me a couple of things, but one of the strongest things he told me is he said, you believe a lie that it's a waste of your time. Yeah. You will not engage because you believe this is not the most effective use of your time. Now, where am I getting that from? Some internal belief system that's mine that's not his. He clearly doesn't believe it's a waste of my time because he's telling me to do it. But in my own heart, my own dysfunction is I'm, I'm partnering with something that I, a belief system that I have that is preventing me from crossing over into what he wants me to do. Right? And there's also a lot of vulnerability. So when I say you have to, if you're going to move forward, you're going to confront your issues. Because what you're going to find is you're going to find that you have an inability to move forward. You'll move forward in degrees. But what God's trying to do, he's trying to move you into victory. He's trying to drive the enemy out of your land. You're going into your future. Oh, there's Amalekites there, Kevin. Deal with them. How do I deal with the Amalekites? You're going to start seeing all the issues that you have. You're going to start really coming to confront that I feel too vulnerable to do this. I feel too vulnerable. I feel too exposed. Some of you will not become who you are because you fear people. You fear what people think of you. You fear what people will say about you. You fear the criticisms. Oh, it's getting real quiet in here now. Right? It's true. If you're going to move with Jesus, you're going to have to confront the issues that disable you from moving forward. Right? Marriage. Your marriage can't move forward because you're too arrogant to apologize. <laughs> Why can't my marriage move forward, Lord? Because you don't know how to humble yourself. You think it's all about you. Right? Just a thought. You think because you feel, therefore you must do. Or ladies, you think because you feel, you have the right to say it. Just because you feel doesn't give you the right to say it. Mm -hmm. You say it because you feel it. And you think your feelings are the director of your life. You feel it, so you say it. And you feel that your feelings are truth. Your feelings are not truth. Your feelings are real, but they're not truth. God tells you to mind your tongue, right? Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Only what is edifying and uplifting. Men don't want to apologize because they feel like they diminish themselves. It weakens them. Who told you that? Humility is one of the backbones of this kingdom. My validation doesn't come from her. My validation doesn't come from me. My validation comes from him. So I don't care what she thinks. I don't even care what I think. I care what he thinks. And if he told me to apologize, I'm going to apologize. 
And if he smacks me around and tells me, not good enough, Kevin, get in there and do it again, I'm going to get in there and do it again. Most men's apologies are, I'm I'm like the fawns, right? Back in happy day time. It's true. It's true. So this is why things don't change. We try to move forward. Why doesn't it change? It's not because God doesn't want it to change. It's because you have issues. And his intent is to help you deal with the issues that are preventing you from moving forward. So, so long as you have excuses and so long as you're married to your dysfunction, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. You can't move forward because you're fearful until you confront the roots of your fear and where that fear is coming from. You're not going anywhere. We can talk about it all day long. I talk to Christians all day long. Oh, they got all these dreams and aspirations. I'm all in. Do you know why? Because God gives dreams and aspirations. We dream dreams and see visions. It's part of your inheritance. If you're a Christian, you better have some dreams and you better have some visions. Because that's what Jesus has given. But you can't get to that dream and you can't get to that vision. The question isn't that God's given you a vision. The question is, is why can't you get there? Or why will you not yield to the process that is required for you to get there? There's a process. You have to go through the process. You have to drink of the cup, Jesus said. The cup is the process. The cup is the pain. Huh? The cup is that you do things when no one else is looking. That's what integrity means. It's who you are when nobody else sees it. That's another story. <laughs> it's moments of clarity. These, these lepers have moments of clarity. One of the guys that the Jews believe is theirs, the name is Gehazi. They believe Gehazi was among the lepers. You don't know the story of Gehazi. I don't have a lot of time to break it down, but Gehazi was a servant of Elisha. And Gehazi became very greedy, right? And he wasn't satisfied. And he became greedy, and he took from the prophet Naaman, or he took from the pro Elisha, and he went out, and he took from Naaman, the guy who dipped in the Jordan, and he took the gold from Naaman. And Elisha told him that his leprosy is now on you. And so uh, Gehazi, they believe, was one of, the, one of the lepers. And the reason they get that is in 2 Kings chapter 7, the king is talking to Gehazi. A king would not talk to a leper ever unless he's kind of like, now, how did you come across the spoils? So they believe that Gehazi was among them, which brings up a point. What does the name Gehazi mean? It means to see from a low point, right? Some of you, you can't see nothing until you're at a low point. It's only then that you get clarity. Isn't that interesting? Gehazi on the negative side could only see from the low point. He couldn't see the treasure that he actually had in being in the room with Elisha. And so he was seeing from a love point. He couldn't see the place that God had placed him in the environment in which God had placed him. And so he coveted something outside of what God had already given him. He couldn't see from the high place. He could only see from the low point. The low point of human greed and human corruption. And now here he is, com corrupted by his own stupidity, and now he's actually seeing from the low point and saying, hey, we need to move forward. <laughs> people get caused problems because all they can do is see from the low point. And some people, the only time change ever comes into their life is when they can see from the low point. It's the thought. There's a moment of clarity. He says, we've got to move forward. We have nothing to lose. And then the second moment of clarity is when they had inherited everything that, got, that, that was in front of them. They had received the spoils of the victory, and they were actually partying and eating the food and shoving gold in the bags and putting, you know, all the good stuff on themselves. They said, look, we can't keep this to ourselves. We've got to share it. We've got to share it. So you get a moment of clarity. God will move you forward. God will move you into victory. Even if you come to Christ, you've moved forward into victory. You've passed from death to life. 
You got to share that faith, Christian. You got to share that good news. You got to reach out to people. You don't have everything you want. That's fine. Right? None of us do. We're called to move forward into God's destiny. But if you've become a Christian, you've given your life to Christ, you need to share that victory. Some of you, you've been victorious and you're on a journey of victory. victory. You need to share that victory. You need to share what God is doing in your life. And you need to share with people the points in which you got there and how you got there. You can't keep it to yourself. So here's the last question. I'm going to close right here. What areas of the life, so these are going to be fast, right? Three minutes and 49 seconds. What areas of your life are you besieged? Where are you besieged? Where is there no movement? Where do you feel trapped? Where are you feeling suffocated? You're going to take time, right? You want to, you want to right? Say this with me. Experience, experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. Experience means nothing unless you evaluate it. You have to evaluate the experience. You have to evaluate. The Bible even tells us to examine our lives, right? So we have to evaluate things. Where am I besieged? Where am I suffocating? Where can I not breathe? Where where am I in a position where I don't like where I'm at? Where am I starving? Right? That's the first question. Take time out of your life. Create a margin. Do it this week. Pick one subject. Pick one topic. Find one and begin to press into it. Where are you besieged? In your faith, in the communion of your faith, well, what's holding you back? I can assure you it's not Jesus. In your health, are you besieged in your health? <gasps> We're Americans, Pastor. Don't talk like that. I know. Relationships, are you besieged in your relationships? Your career, your occupation, right? That's your occupation. It's people are besieged in their occupation. Occupation is what you do for money. Vocation is what you do for calling. Every Christian has a vocation and an occupation. You have the occupation, which is the thing you do as a job, and you have a vocation, which is a call of God on your life. They're not the same. They can be. You know, the goal is to make them both the same, or the goal is to, <laughs> the goal is to integrate them, right? Making your occupation and your vocation one, or bringing your vocation into your occupation. But your occupation is not your vocation. Just a thought. So where, where, where can you not breathe? Can't you breathe in your career? Or do you feel like you've got a calling on your life and you can't bring it? Are you suffocating there? That's a question. Habits, are your habits suffocating you? Where are you out of options? That's the first question. Ready? Everybody say, hold the chair. chair. Here's the second question. Do you blame Jesus? Are you blaming Jesus for your current circumstances? Be honest. You you don't have to be honest with me. You be honest with yourself and you got to be honest with the Lord. Are you blaming the Lord for where you are? You have to confront that. What lie do I believe that tells me this is God's fault? What lie do I believe that tells me God's against me? You're you're believing a lie. Number one, where are you besieged? Number two, do you blame Jesus for that? Number three, where are you out of options? All right. Say it with me. It's time to move forward. And here's here's the third question. Where are you out of alignment with what the Lord has said? What has God told you to do where you're not in alignment with it? Basic obedience, maybe, right? Or is there an overall direction of your life where you're not in, you are not in concert with what he's telling you? Could that be a reason why there's a besiege? Could that be a reason why things there's a famine? Could that be a reason? Just a thought. So you want to ask where the area's at. You want to ask, am I blaming the Lord? You want to ask, where am I out of alignment? And if you don't know, the Holy Spirit knows, right? We have the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, right? It's his job to lead us into all truth. He will show us the truth, and the truth will 
Oh, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, where are you going to know the truth from? The Holy Spirit. You're self-deceived, most of us. We have excuses for why we do what we do. And we're deceived in what we do. We think it's okay. We let the Holy Spirit tell you. Ask him if you really want to change or you can stay the same. But the lepers just told us if we stay the same, we're going to die. So we have to change. Where are you out of options? Where are you out of alignment? Does faith lead you or does fear? Write that one down. Holy Spirit. <laughs> what areas of my life am I fear-based? Holy Spirit. What areas of my life require more faith? Ask him. You won't like the answers. Just like a doctor comes. This is the voice of the physician. He's going to tell you what time it is. Right? We don't like it. Nobody likes to go to the doctors for that reason, right? Because we don't want to know. We really don't want to know. We really don't want to know. Your leg's falling off. I got it, man. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Spend time and pinpoint where you're besieged or where you want to change. Where are you besieged or where do you want to change? Another one. Identify the points of resistance and the pain that keep you from changing. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You have an ever-present help in time of need, and his name is the Holy Spirit. He is your helper. He is your comforter. He is your guide. He is your counsel. He is the treasure and the gift of heaven. He takes all that belongs to Jesus, and he manifests it to you. But he's not manifesting nothing if you don't engage him. You have to begin to personally engage him. You have to begin to understand him and hear him and, under, and learn from him. Ask him, where am I faithful and where am I fearful? He'll go here, here. And you got to ask him, what do I do to change? Where are the areas that I need to change? Why can't I move forward here? What's going on here? He's going to tell you. He's going to speak to you. He will 100% speak to you. How do you? You ask the Spirit. So you get in the Spirit. Worship the Lord. Get into his presence. Speak from that place. That's one area. Another way you can get a voice from the Lord is through his word. Write down what he tells you. Say it with me. Write down what the Holy Spirit tells me. Not what I tell me. Right? Ask the Lord to help you and to do something new in your life. Lord, I want to change, but you need, will you do something new with me? Show me where I need to change. Like God will tell you, right? He'll tell you, but you don't know how to do it. That's okay. All you got to do is say, I'm willing, Lord, but I need your help. You can do nothing without him, but you can do all things through him. Let's just say that. I can do nothing without Jesus, but I can do all things through him. Ask the Lord to help you and do something new. He's going to open doors for you to change. And I believe, and I'm just going to tell you right now, and I just declare it over these people and all who hear this, that not only will God open up, open up doors for you to change, that he's going to give you the courage to actually go through the door. Some of you had open doors to change sitting in front of you for decades, and you've never had the courage to step through that door to change. Time's now. It's not about an open door. It's not even about wisdom. It's about courage. Wisdom's in spades. If you want to know about Jesus, I'll tell you all about Jesus. He's all about opportunity. You want an opportunity? He's got one for you every minute of every hour of every day. You never have to worry about opportunities. Jesus deals them like cards. You never have to worry about wisdom. Jesus deals it like cards. What's in short supply is courage. Courage, which requires faith. So when you're asking God for an opportunity, ask for him the courage and the faith to do what he's telling you to do. Ask for him the wisdom. He'll give you the wisdom. Wisdom comes easy. Opportunity comes easy. Faith and courage that's where self-sacrifice is involved. That's where you have to deny you and do what you've never done. 
Just a thought. These are your next steps. Amen? I was going to talk about first steps, but I'm out of time. If you don't know Jesus, that is your first step. If you're here this morning and you never asked Jesus into your heart, the Bible says all of us have a problem. We're separated from the one that created us. Jesus is not the one among many. He's the one and only. There's one rock star, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who came for us. He came as us. He died for us. He rose again so that we could become like him. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human being on the planet is separated from God. Sin is the issue. Man cannot deal with his sin problem. We can't wash it away. We can't will it away. We can't think it away. We can't learn it away. We have to give it away. We have to give it to the only one who can take it, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says the wages of sin is death or eternal separation or damnation under the condemnation of sin. The gift of God is life eternal through Jesus Christ. And then the scripture tells us that if you believe in your heart and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he is who he says he is, and that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. It's as simple as a prayer. If you've never asked Jesus into your life and you don't know if you're saved, today's the day. Not tomorrow, not next week, not, not next Tuesday, today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. No one is guaranteed to hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once. You have no idea what will happen to you. Today's your day. Don't harden your heart, Scripture says, in rebellion. The message and the time is now. Open your heart and pray this prayer. It's very simple. It's a 40-second prayer. We're going to pray it together. So that's all everybody here at Elevate is going to pray with us. If you're here in this room, you've never given your heart to Jesus, today's your day. If you're watching us by stream and you've given, given your heart to Christ, today's your day. You can get born again today. All things new. Let's just pray. Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me, and I ask you to restore me. I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're just going to have a prayer team available over here, and then I'm going to bless everybody one more time. We're going to move on to a glorious weekend. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may he give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.